conversations. Oh, hello there. We didn't notice you over there in the corner listening to Med Conversations. Welcome. You got uh, me, Rahul, your usual uh, one of your usual hosts, and uh, Mr. Scott. Today, for a change, I'm joined by Scott. Um, and today, we're going to be talking about hepatitis B, which is common. This is going to be sort of a, a link to our hepatitis C podcast, and it's a very common condition that's very difficult to understand, particularly with uh, mainly the classification and diagnosis. So, we're going to try and simplify that for you, but it is a complicated topic. Yeah, I always found it really hard to understand during med school. It's a lot more complicated than vitamin C, just in terms of this natural history with all these different phases. And did, you say, just... did you say vitamin C? Did I say vitamin C? <laughs> I mean, it probably is more complicated than vitamin C. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, vitamin C is pretty complicated, to be fair. <laughs> um, but we're going to try and kind of leave you with a bit of a broad understanding of the different phases and kind of when you treat it, what are the main complications and a bit of the serology as well. Yeah, and as a recommendation, we probably reckon you should start with our Hepatitis C podcast because that gives you sort of the lay of the land and then Hep B has a few more uh, difficult ad- additions to it. I think it's the right way to think about it. Yeah, because Hep C, basically, if you've got it, you can treat it. Yeah. That's kind of the yeah, summary. Modern, modern day summary. Let's kick off with the case, Scott. When you got the case. So Mr. Dowtran is a successful businessman who supplements his many legal endeavours with an underground Siamese fighting fish syndicate that took Melbourne by a storm. You are working as a newly minted gastroenterologist when you see your old associate, Mr. Dow, come into your office. You exchange pleasantries and reflect on the glory days of Little Star, a fish Dow personally trained in the tough streets of Saigon, and your huge bets on Little Star that scored you the winnings to leave that tough crowd behind and put yourself through medical school. Monday rags to riches story. I mean, it's pretty standard ones. We all know someone who's gone through that. (laughs) Uh, So Mr. Tran says he's now come clean from his dubious past and become a born-again Christian and wants a full check for what he calls the impure diseases. Mm, Like vitamin C deficiency. Yeah, it's a really key one. Mm. Check out our podcast. Um, (laughs) as As you read through the results, HIV negative, Hep C antibody negative, Hep B surface antigen positive, core antibody positive, prepare yourself to give Associate Dow some news. His turbulent past may linger on in viral form. There are some things you can never run away from. Yeah. So, Any examples from your own history? Uh, your own an enraged well? menstrual tiger. Very difficult to get away from. Um, yeah. Back in your days in Kerala, was it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> Down the old <laughs> jungle boy. Um, so hepatitis B, here's some bare bones. Here are the things that I think if you don't, if you can't get into the rest of this podcast, things that you should take away from it is that it's a viral illness that affect, infects hepatocytes and causes lifelong disease, unlike hepatitis C, which is now curable. Um, it's really common in some areas of the world, particularly Southeast Asia, but also in other areas of Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, some parts of Latin America. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a significant risk of hepatocellular carcinoma and cirrhosis and progression to cirrhosis. And it's one of the few conditions that can you can get hepatocellular carcinoma without developing cirrhosis. Mm. So that they're kind of the two main things we worry about, why we care about the disease. Mm. And serology interpretation will go into a lot because that's kind of the real challenge for medical students and junior doctors in, mm. in working out, and physician trainees even. Yeah, I've forgotten it all since my exam. Um, and treatment involves vaccination for those who haven't been exposed, obviously, and transmission prevention and suppressive antivirals in those who do have chronic form of the disease. Um, there's... Um, yeah, you should avoid confusing it with hepatitis C, I think is the other thing to pick up from this podcast. Uh, the key similarities are that they can both cause hepat- hepatocellular carcinoma and uh, cirrhosis, and they're obviously both viral hepatitis, but we'll talk about the differences a bit later. Do you want to give a quick summary of the differences, Scott? Yeah, so I mean, the quick differences are hep um, C is curable, and we still can't cure hep B, but we've got a vaccine for hep B. 
and Hep B is more transmitted vertically from mums to babies. Yeah. So talk to us about the epidemiology, Scott. So Hep B has been reducing rapidly worldwide over the last few decades, primarily due to increased vaccinations. So, but still 2 billion people around the world have been infected. Um, there's 380 million chronic carriers, 75% in, in Asia, but also in Sub-Sahara, other, other areas like North America, Amazon. Um, it causes 70% of liver cancer worldwide, yeah. 1 million deaths per year. Pretty impressive, huh? 70% caused by a virus. It's a bit like the uh, cervical, cancer story, cervical, cervical cancer story with HPV. I mean, you've got this one infective pathogen that's sort of responsible for so much of the, of the malignancy. Mm, so second only to tobacco as the biggest carcinogen worldwide. That's a cool statistic. So to move in on Australia, there's 225,000 people with, um, infected with hepatitis B, largely of Asian extraction or from other endemic regions. Um, but it's also increased rates in um, IVDU, MSM, and Indigenous groups. Yeah, and so in, uh, half the people in Australia who have hepatitis B don't actually know they have it, which is also pretty impressive. It's like, you know, given how responsible it is for liver cancer, imagine if half the people who smoked didn't know that they were smoking. A <laughs> <laughs> weird, weird world. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting disease and interesting epidemiology. So, Scott, given all of this, you know, pretty severe consequences of the disease and widespread infection, who do we screen? Well, to summarize, the answer is pretty much almost everyone. Yeah. But particularly important groups of people to screen are pregnant women because you can try and prevent them transmitting hepatitis B to their babies, which is how most of it is transmitted. And that's important because, as we'll talk about later, age at which you contract the virus is closely linked to your prognosis from the virus. And we'll get into that later. So other groups to screen are people from countries where hepatitis B is under two, is over 2%, which if you can type in kind of a graph on Google Images, but basically that's most um, less developed countries. So pretty yeah. much anywhere outside, you know, Western Europe, United States, United States and, and Australia. Australia yeah. yeah. And although Sierra Leone, for some reason, yeah, had quite yeah. a low rate of hepatitis B. I'm not sure <laughs> what they're doing right there, but <laughs> something's going well. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just to expand that out, I mean, there's a lot of them, but anyone whose parents come from an area with high prevalence hepatitis B, um, people obviously who have contacted anyone who has hepatitis B, people who've used injection drugs, people, males who have sex with males, um, any exposure to needle stick injuries, and anyone who has an elevated ALT and you don't know the reason why, and people who are going to get immunosuppressed in the form of chemotherapy or transplant immunosuppression. So realistically, I mean, it's a pretty large section of the population that you're screening. Um, yeah, most people should probably be screened at least once. Mm. And um, when I said MSM before, I meant men who have sex with men, just to not use too many acronyms. Media. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, back to the case. So a crack in Dow's famously impassive poker face that bluffed him many a bet. Doctor, what is hepatitis B? Can I cure it with cobra venom or perhaps even faith in the good Lord above? Tell us a bit about hepatitis. Answer associate Dow's questions for us, Scott. Yes, good question. So hepatitis B is in the hepadenoviridae family. Oh, it, I always okay, of course. Yeah, now your favourite, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the woodchuck virus, yeah, yeah. like the duck hepatitis virus, <laughs> duck another. hepatitis virus, mm. Rel's favourite viruses. Um, and it's a double-stranded DNA virus that is a pararetrovirus, and it uses reverse transcriptase to make DNA out of RNA, then integrates it into the host genome. It gets really detailed and complex, and I'm not going to pretend to understand it all. But the key thing to understand here is that once you've been exposed or infected with um, hepatitis B, there's always a little bit in there. And you never kind of, even if it's a resolved infection, 
it could still reactivate if you went on really high immunosuppression or something like just that. Just hangs out in your hepatocytes, yeah. And the interesting thing about hepatitis B is the virus itself doesn't actually cause damage to your liver. It just sits inside, like we said, it sits inside your hepatocytes just chilling out there and your NARC immune system is like always trying to come around here and cause trouble, goes in with the cytotoxic T cells and causes inflammation and damage to the liver in response to the hepatitis B. So it's actually the, the virus itself is not doing anything except causing your immune system mm. to kill your own hepatocytes. It's the police, the yeah. popo. Yeah, 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 narcs. Um, so we'll talk about it a bit more later, but after acute hepatitis B infection, a large proportion of people will clear the virus and another group will go on to have chronic hepatitis B with intermittent di- disease reactivation stages and symptoms and then inactive phases. And the things that we care about are cirrhosis or hepatocellular carcinoma, or very occasionally kind of fulminant total liver failure from an acute infection, but that's pretty rare. Very rare, yeah. So, Scott, let's talk a little bit about transmission. How is the hepatitis B virus transmitted? So, endemic areas, it's largely transmitted perinatally, so mum to baby when they're born. Vertical transmission. Vertical transmission. And in low endemic areas like Australia, it's largely sexually. Horizontal. (laughs) (laughs) Or vertical, depending on how you... (laughs) Did you just invent that joke? Because I'm fighting that. (laughs) Yeah, never been thought of before. Horizontal transmission. Top of the dome. Um, So it's higher risk if you're multi-partner, a man who has sex with man. If you've got other STIs, it increases the risk of um, infection. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, injecting, it's a bloodborne virus. So injecting uh, blood transfusions, dialysis, uh, the classic situation would be a Boy Scout who's making a blood brother pact. Uh, mm. You know, they, over a quiet, dusky night with a full moon in show, they um, cut each other's wrists and, and take I on I thought it. it was thumbs. I didn't realize it was wrists. Yeah, Is probably that... not the wrists. That's, that's a <laughs> I know what different your Boy Scout time was like, <laughs> So coming back to what we said before, the age of infection is super important. Um, So there is this situation where if you're infected as an adult, uh, 95% of people will clear the virus. So it's good to be infected as an adult as opposed to a child or an infant, Scott, where... Um, Only 10% will clear the virus. So most people will be have chronic hepatitis B infection. Yeah, which is why it's so important to get prophylaxis going on earlier, um, you know, when you're a newborn. So, and vaccination, there was a vaccine invented in 1981, and it's super important that people are vaccinated against hepatitis B because it's preventable. So let's go back to the case. And um, Dow tells you, he swears on the book that he's never injected any drugs or been involved in any sodomous practices. Do you believe him, Raul? Look, he's got a pretty honest past. I think I'm, I'm going to be inclined to say yes. Yeah, so most likely he was just infected when he was born by his mum. So onto the natural history and clinical features, and this is where things get pretty complicated. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try and come at this in multiple ways where we talk about the clinical features, but then during the serology and diagnosis, we also talk about this. About And, and what this is the classification of hepatitis B phases, because there are essentially five phases and we'll come to them, but stick with us. So acute hepatitis, Scott, tell us about that. So acute hepatitis is probably the easiest to understand. So when you get a new infection, and in 70% of people it's asymptomatic, but 30% will have an icteric hepatitis with jaundice. Yeah, icteric just means with jaundice. So. And yeah, and they, they can also get some constitutional fever, uh, symptoms like a low-grade fever, anorexia, nausea, vomiting, some right upper quadrant pain, myalgia, fatigue, pretty non-specific. Essentially, it feels like you've got a virus and you've got a bit of pain over your liver. And that, that can be in the case in any sort of form of hepatitis. But there is a form of fulminant acute hepatitis, which is extremely rare, as we mentioned earlier. And that's where you get actual liver failure in the acute phase of infection, you know, with hepatic encephalopathy, 
which is where you get a little bit delirious, ascites, you know, swelling of the abdomen, coagulopathy, but that that's extremely rare. Um, so that's that's acute hepatitis. So if you get infected with hepatitis B, is a possibility you'll show that. But remember, seventy percent are asymptomatic, and then you've got chronic hepatitis. So that's defined as the presence of a hepatitis surface antigen of more than six months. And we'll talk more about what the different markers are for serology later. But tell us about the five phases of chronic hepatitis, Scott. So this can be a bit confusing, and they changed the names last year as well, just to try and confuse people even more. But the five phases they talk about are immune tolerance, um, immune active, and then you move through this immune, this inactive chronic hepatitis B and immune active chronic hepatitis B, and then you can resolve your infection or, or, or go into a cold infection. So it's a bit hard to understand, but we'll talk about it more when we talk about the serology. Mm. They're just the words to get your head around. Okay, so back to Mr. Dow. Uh, he says he's been feeling a bit tired during his long church services over the last couple of months, but he denies any other symptoms of abdominal pain, nausea, fevers, swellings of his, swelling of his limbs or abdomen, and or bleeding. So on examination, you look for signs of active hepatitis or chronic liver disease. Um, you don't see any jaundice or sclerolictoris. In terms of acute hepatitis, he hasn't got a fever when you measure it. He doesn't look jaundiced to you. His liver isn't large or tender. Um, and he certainly doesn't have any of the hepatic flap or hepatic encephalopathy. In fact, he seems to remember his his uh, first date. <laughs> I was going to say Deuteronomy. Is that one of the <laughs> his first date? First, his first date with Deuteronomy. Uh, quite well. He found it. Gideon <laughs> uh, Bible. In terms of the chronic hepatitis slash cirrhosis type stuff, you know, he doesn't have a small liver. He doesn't have any of those spider nevi, which are those little blood vessels around the neck. His palms aren't super red. Um, and he doesn't have any signs of decompensation, again, with no ascites, no, no bleeding, and he hasn't got any encephalopathy of this. Okay, so let's talk about the serology now. Scott, can you explain to us what all the different parts of the serology means and give us all a very comprehensive understanding of hepatitis B, its life cycle, and the management? <laughs> I'll try Go and on. do that in about 15 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so they've they put in multiple things to try and confuse you here with hepatitis serology. Firstly, if you actually need to kind of understand this a bit because if you're ordering a test, you can't just test for hepatitis B. You need to test for all the different antigens and antibodies and use that to work out what phase this person's in. So the first thing they put in to confuse you is remember you're testing for two different kinds of things. Antigens, which are the proteins which are part of the virus, or antibodies, which are antibodies against those proteins. That's your immune response to those proteins in the virus. Exactly. So, And sometimes they'll call them the antigens and sometimes they'll call them the antibodies. So they'll call like the antibody anti-hep B surface antibody. Or sometimes they'll just call it hep B surface antibody just and to try and confuse you. an antibody to the surface antigen. Yeah. Because right? remember antigens, antibodies bind antigens and they form a complex together. Exactly. So the normal kind of human immune response is there's an antigen in a, in a pathogen and then the body seroconverts and starts producing a antibody to that antigen. So with that kind of roughly in your head, I think the best way to think about it rather than just memorizing different combinations of all the different serology is to think about each individual thing and what it means. So the first thing to think about is hep B surface antigen. So this, think of this as just a part of the virus, and this means there's current hepatitis B infection, which could be acute or it could be chronic. Now, importantly, if you don't have surface antigen, it doesn't mean you have never had current hep, uh, a hep B infection because you can clear it rarely, but definitely if you have surface antigen, it means that you have a current hep B infection. 
Yeah. Um, so surface antigen, there's hep B there. Um, the next one to think about is anti-hep B surface antigen. So, or surface antibody would be the other name. Yeah, hep B surface antibody. And that means that either your body has cleared that hepatitis B infection so that all those little antigens were there in the hepatitis B and your body made the antibody and cleared it, or um, you've received the vaccination. So you've got your anti-hep B surface antigen or your hep B surface antibody injected into you from the vaccine. And that makes sense. I mean, the surface antibody is kind of like the weapon your body uses to fight against the hep B. So if it's there, either you got it from the immunization that we give people or you've previously had it and your body's learned to fight it. The third one to understand is the anti-hep B core. And this is where it gets confusing. This is where it gets confusing. This is another antibody, the core antibody. So the core antibody, I think, indicates that this person has been exposed or had contact with hepatitis B. So they've either had a past infection, so they've, they've had a past infection, which might have resolved or might still be current, but they weren't just vaccinated. Yeah, and I think the best way to think about that is when you hear hep B core antibody, which is often written as HBC antibody, think of the C as meaning contact, which means the person has actually had contact with the virus. It, they weren't just vaccinated, they at some point had hepatitis B in them. Yeah, and we don't really test for um, hep B core antigen. You'll just see hep B core antibody. Yep. So the next one is the hep B E antigen and E antibody. So this is a little bit more complicated, and this is the one which actually helps us to kind of name the different phases. But the easy way to think about it is we already talked about the surface antigen and how your body learns to make surface antibody. There's another antigen in the hepatitis B called the E antigen, and your body can also learn to make the E antibody. And that... It's like an extra kind of target on the virus that the body learns to attack. So when your body seroconverts, so you get rid of all your E antigen and start making E antibody, then your body is better controlling the virus. And then you go into the, the last two, the last few phases of the viral. So yeah, it's, it's, I think of it as imagine your the hepatitis B is a castle that your that your body is trying to attack. So you know, first of all, it rocks up and it sees the E antigen, which you can presume is like the main door. And it starts to produce antibodies to the E antigen. Once it once it's a bit familiar with it, it starts to produce antibodies to the E antigen. And then later on down the track, it discovers this secret doorway, the S antigen, which is a really you know it's a doorway that would really help it um, fight the virus. And eventually learns to produce S antibody to that um, to that antigen. And so then when you become S antibody positive, you've pretty much resolved the infection. That's an analogy that might help. Alternatively, it may have just confused you. But just imagine a feudal landscape where there are warring warring armies and I think you'll have hepatitis B under control yeah that's usually how I imagine my hepatitis B patients (laughs) (laughs) feudal free for all okay so that's all the complicated immune panel that you get when you're trying to diagnose hepatitis B and again we'll be harking back to that whilst we talk about the phases but the last bit is easy so last two tests you can do from a blood point of view are the hepatitis B viral DNA level so it's literally just checking how much viral DNA you have in your in your serum and then the other one you can do is your ALT levels. And your ALT obviously corresponds to how much your, how much your liver is inflamed. That's the uh, alanine transferase. So yeah, mm. those are the two easy ones. So now, now that we've got all the basic tests that are used, let's start putting them together into some phases, Scott. Yeah, so there's five phases from when someone gets infected with hepatitis B. So the first phase is called the immune tolerant phase. So 
what's kind of the key parts of that phase? So the main thing is the virus enters your body, usually through vertical transmission uh, into a child, and it goes, ah, look, free for all. There's no no immune system here that knows who I am. I'm just going to reproduce all I can. And your viral DNA levels in the serum get very high, but there's not much inflammation going on the body. You haven't produced much response to all of this. Which, cause the, so the ALT is low, showing mm. that there's not liver inflammation. Mm-hmm. So at this time, you should be Hep B surface antigen positive and Hep B E antigen positive and um, Hep B core antibody positive. Yep. Um, and high DNA levels and low ALT. So then you move into the immune reactive slash immune active E antigen positive phase. And what happens there, Scott? So the body starts to attack all these hepatocytes. As we said, the body causes actually all the damage that goes on. So the thing which correlates with the inflammation is that ALT. So you still have a pretty high viral DNA, but that starts coming down and the ALT goes up. That's the way you distinguish between those first two. Yeah. So you know that's the immune active E antigen positive phase. And then you, you get into the immune control phase um, or the inactive chronic hep B phase as it's referred to in the new system and what happens here is that your immune system actually learns to control the hepatitis B pretty well and so your hepatitis B viral DNA starts to fall and your inflammation marked by the ALT starts to fall and you actually here is where you become E antibody positive so you've sort of your body scoped out the virus and started to produce some E antibody towards it. Yeah and so your E antigen will become negative because your body starts wiping it out with the E antibody. Hmm. And then you move into what's called either, it used to be called the immune escape phase. Now it's called the immune active hepatitis B E antigen negative phase. Yeah, much less confusing. (laughs) So immune active chronic hepatitis B. And this is where you've still got your E antibody, but again, your body's starting to have inflammation. So your viral load's starting to come up and your ALT is starting to come up again. And these periods where you have inflammation are where there's a higher risk of getting something like cirrhosis or you know fulminant hepatitis yeah you're actually doing some damage to your liver and again it's you doing the damage to your liver because your own immune system is recognizing the virus again and starting to attack yeah and then the last phase is the um uh hb surface antigen negative phase so we said that hb surface antigen is a really key antigen and when your body learns to produce antibodies to that antigen and seroconverts then your body learns to control the hepatitis b much better so we sometimes call that um, resolved infection or HB surface antigen negative phase. But remember, because it's been integrated into the viral genome, if, even if your surface antibody is positive protecting you against the hepatitis B, there's still a really small chance with heavy immunosuppression it can reactivate. Yeah. So those are, as maybe it wasn't so simple, but I was going to say those are the simple five phases of <laughs> hepatitis B infection. And now we're going to add on one more. Now we're going to play a little game to see if we can hammer that home early, uh, home what we've just talked talk to you about. So this is going to be a bit simpler than what we've just spoken about. We're not going to talk about the E antigen or E antibody, which helps divide those chronic HPV infection phases. But I'm going to start reading out some blood tests, and Scott is going to tell us all, after a little pause so you can think you can play along at home, Scott is going to tell us all what the correct answer is. So let's start with this. HB surface antigen negative. HB core antibody negative, HB surface antibody negative. <laughs> Scott, what's the answer? So this person does not have hepatitis B, but they're also susceptible because if they've been vaccinated, their anti-hep B surface antibody should be positive. Okay, cool. Let's play another one. 
HB surface antigen negative, HB core antibody positive, and HB surface antibody positive. So surface antigen negative, core antibody positive, and surface antibody positive. <laughs> Scott. Yeah, just to distract you, resolves hepatitis B infection. So that's that phase five we were talking okay. about. So why is that? We've got the core antibody, which remember C means contact. It means that they've come into contact before, so that's that's positive. But the surface antigen is negative, so there's not still yeah, it, it's resolved. Yeah. Okay, let's play another one. HB surface antigen negative, HB core antibody negative. HB surface antibody positive. Mm. And again, surface antigen negative, core antibody positive, uh, negative, and surface antibody positive. So if only the anti, sorry, if only the HEP B surface antibody is positive, that means the patient has been vaccinated but not vaccinated. exposed. All right, remember again, because that core antibody, which ex tells you about contact, is negative. Nice. Okay, now let's play a few more difficult ones. The surface antigen is positive, the core antibody is positive, but your surface antibody is negative. So this is acute hepatitis B infection. Yeah, and telling the difference between acute and chronic would be that the, the core antibody IgM titer, so IgM is the acute antibody, would be positive. We don't use it that often. Yeah, yeah. pretty rarely use. Okay, similar. Let's play surface antigen positive, core antibody positive, and surface antibody negative with a low IgM core antibody. So the surface antigen is positive, so there's hepatitis B there. There's core antibody positive. So, so we know they've been exposed. We know they've been exposed. Know. And they haven't cleared it because they haven't produced the hep B surface antibody. So this is chronic hepatitis B infection. Yeah, okay. And just to re reinforce it to make it clear, those serology results were the same as the ones we just gave for acute hepatitis B infection, unless you check the IgM for the anticore. Yeah, and so we're not going to go into the E antigen stuff here because it's probably not as core learning, but if you really want to get into it, there's lots of tables on the internet. Okay, let's go back to Associate Dow, Lord Associate Convener Dow. So after that extended daydream about hepatitis B, always your favorite serology to interpret, you focus back in on Mr. Dow's results. He's hepatitis B surface antigen positive. He's hepatitis B surface antibody negative. He's hep C, hepatitis B core antibody positive. He's hep B E antigen negative and E antibody positive. His hep B viral load is 5,000 international units per mil. And his ALT is elevated at 500, indicating some liver inflammation. And his albumin is relatively normal. And his bilirubin is also at the higher end of normal. So what kind of hep B does he have, Scott? So given that he's got hepatitis B surface antigen positive and core antibody positive, I know he's got hep B. And given that he's, for extra points, given that his E antigen is negative and his E antibody is positive, he's in one of the later phases. So he's got chronic hepatitis B. Yeah, chronic hepatitis B in the now called immune active E antigen negative phase. Okay, so Mr. Dow thanks the Lord for closely escaping from this uh, unholy disease, and uh, you decide not to correct his assumptions about the fact that it's named immune escape phase. So, what do you tell Mr. Dow now? What do you does he need treatment? Uh, what what are we going to do with him? Mm, let's have a chat. Mm, let's have down. a med chat. The med chat, the <laughs> conversation, if you will. Yeah. So, first of all, I think we need to work finish working Mr. Dow up, and what might that consist of, Scott? 
So you should probably try and group the investigations by what you're looking for. So firstly, we want to determine if there's any other co-infections which are often infected in similar patients with hepatitis B. So we want to check for HIV, hepatitis C, or other causes of um, acute hepatitis. So EBV, CMV, or also other causes of liver damage. So alpha-1 antitrypsin, you can do an ANA or AMA. You can do iron studies looking for hemochromatosis or ceruloplasmin for Wilson's disease. So then you also want to assess the severity and look for complications of the hepatitis B. So you want to check if they've got cirrhosis. So you can look at things like the FBE, looking for um, thrombocytopenia with splenic sequestration. You can look for the UE, check their renal function. You can um, check their coagulation for signs of synthetic liver dysfunction and their albumin. And look at, as we said, look at their LFTs, particularly the ALT for signs of inflammation. So a lot of those things are related to the complications of cirrhosis, um, particularly, you know, the stuff about the albumin being low and the coagulation studies being off, your platelets being low, and the LFTs just tell you about the inflammation in the liver, as we discussed earlier with the phases. But the key really here, you know, the, probably the two main investigations you'd want to order are a liver ultrasound, so looking for both malignancy and the liver texture to see whether or not they might have already developed cirrhosis and a fiber scan for those who don't have obvious cirrhosis on the liver ultrasound. That'll, that'll tell you how fibrous the liver is. And, and you can check out our cirrhosis podcast for more details about that. So it's imp- also important to think about any sexual or family contacts and think about testing and contact tracing in those people as well. Yeah. So let's go back to Dow's case. What, uh, what sort of workup results do we have for him, Scott? So let's read him out. So his FBE is all normal. His UE is normal. His coags are normal. His albumin is normal. As we said, his LFTs show a raised AS, sorry, ALT around 500. He's also got, he's also negative for HIV, hepatitis C, EBV, um, hepatitis A, CMV, and L1 antitrypsin. It's a lot of, a lot of results. Uh, is this riveting yeah. to you guys? <laughs> Let's just keep reading them out. There's some private pathology lab having a great time here. His uh, ANA is negative. His Anti-mitochondrial antibody is negative. His iron studies are normal. His ceruloplasmin is also normal. Okay. So getting down to the meat, his liver ultrasound is negative from malignancy and doesn't show any evidence of fibrosis. And he has a fibro scan, which shows F1 fibrosis. And just remember that fibro scan results come from F0 to F4, which roughly correlate to how fibrosed you are on histology. And F1 is pretty mild. F0 is, is no fibrosis. F1 is mild fibrosis. So he's in the good books. So Dow says he's unsurprised that his other test results were normal, given a recent vision where a little star spoke to him from the clouds and told him there was still time to repent and absolve himself of his past sins. You get ready to explain to Dow that he's not quite out of the woods despite his prophetic visions from little star. So you want us to talk to him about treatment. Scott, talk to me about treatment. So treatment is pretty complex, but we're going to really simplify it down to a couple of key principles. So firstly, treatment involves antivirals, so some of the same ones you've seen for HIV. And the two most common ones are entecavir and tenofovir. And the decision on when you treat or when you observe is complex. But to simplify it down, remember that people with um, chronic hepatitis B, those who've got a persistently positive hepatitis B um, antigen, surface antigen, yep, and the hep B core antibody positive, and the hep B viraloid positive, just to kind of remind you, and there's three main indications to treat. So even if you forget all those phases we talked about, you basically treat when there's signs of inflammation. So when's there signs of inflammation? So when the ALT, you know, on your LFTs, when your alanine transferase is elevated. Yep. Or when your viral load is really high. Yep. 
or if you have cirrhosis and you presume that it's related to the hepatitis B. So they're the three main indications to treat. So signs of inflammation, really high viral load, or cirrhosis. There's some other indications to treat. So do you know any of them, Raul? So, I mean, one of the ones I've encountered a lot is immunosuppression or malignancy. So if you're, um, you know, if you're going to give someone a transplant or they're getting treated for a rheumatological disease, especially with something like rituximab, which is a high rate of reactivation, you want to treat them beforehand to avoid you know, fulminant hepatitis B or even reactivation of hepatitis B. Pregnancy would be another one. Again, remember that trans- vertical transmission to the child has a really high rate of chronic disease. So we want to treat pregnant women and treat people who are who are high risk and treat infants. And then during treatment of hepatitis C or HIV, if they also have that. Yeah, because you can also get an immune reconstitution inflammatory syndrome. Mm. And, and the whole thing about treatment is that it reduces your risk of progression to cirrhosis or malignancy. So that's what you're improving by treating these people. So what about treating acute hepatitis B, Scott? So we'll kind of skip over this because, as we said before, most people, you're not going to pick up hepatitis B in its acute phase. But treatment is mainly supportive. You don't just necessarily treat everyone with antivirals. Um, If someone's infected as an adult and they're immunocompetent, the likelihood that they'll get chronic hepatitis B and not clear it is actually less than 5%. There are some patients who are immunosuppressed or have other chronic diseases who do have a higher risk of, um, of progressing to chronic hepatitis B. But as a general principle, you usually only treat acute hepatitis B if they've got a severe or protracted course, um, you know, with features like uh, coagulopathy, showing um, synthetic liver dysfunction, or really, really high bilirubin. Yeah, really high bilirubin, really persistent symptoms, often lasting more than four weeks. But obviously, this would be discussed with a gastroenterologist or ID specialist. And if you give, if they need treatment, it's the same drugs we already talked about, so tenofovir or entecavir, usually just as monotherapy, so one or the other. So then we talk a bit about prevention. So preventing hepatitis B is really important, especially because it's a vaccine that has existed for a long time and it's very effective. So obviously everyone in Australia should be hepatitis B vaccinated. Uh, it comes in three three rounds of vaccination. Um, and on top of that, in terms of prevention efforts, you want to have a good strategy for identifying hepatitis B infection. So particularly in Australia, everyone who's going to become pregnant needs to be screened for hepatitis B to prevent that transmission. And if someone new, a new index case is identified, as in Mr. Dow, you need to test his contacts, so household contacts, sexual partners, and make sure that they're all vaccinated if they're not vaccinated. And yeah. If they're, yeah. And reinforcing the thing we talked about before, 50% of people in Australia who have hepatitis B don't even know about it. So maybe someone who's come from an endemic country with higher levels of hepatitis B should just get a test. Hmm. So just quickly on hepatitis B in pregnancy, it's complicated, but essentially all babies of hep B pregnant mothers will end up getting hepatitis B immunoglobulin as they're born and vaccination at the same time. So all babies of hepatitis B chronic carriers will have that. Um, So we'll treat them with that. Yeah. On top of that, uh, the ladies who are pregnant in their third trimester, depending on some other factors, mainly on their viral load and their E antigen positivity, may end up getting some treatment in the sort of last part of their pregnancy to prevent the transmission to the child. Yeah, so normal rates of vertical transmission are as high as 90%, but we can reduce them by up to 95% of that by giving the baby hep B uh, immunoglobulin and vaccinations and sometimes treating the mum with one of those antivirals as well. So one of the other things to consider in the treatment or management of hepatitis B is the risk for hepatocellular carcinoma. As we said, it's the second biggest carcinogen in the world after tobacco. So there's a huge burden of hepatocellular carcinoma in these patients. And so we surveil them. Uh, and what we do is we do an ultrasound uh, every six months, plus or minus an alpha fetoprotein, which is a blood test, to see whether or not people have developed a hepatocellular carcinoma. And that should be done even in people who have resolved infection because the, 
the potential still goes on years down the track. And roll, what's resolved infection? What's the serology? Uh, so that's when you convert from your surface antigen being positive to your surface antigen being negative. So your surface antibody starts to get produced as your um, as your body works out how to fight the hepatitis B. Yeah, so you've still got some risk. So back to Mr. Dow. You diagnose Dow with immune active chronic hepatitis B. So he's got a hepatitis B antigen that's positive. He's got a hepatitis B core antibody that's positive, And his hepatitis B viral DNA load is positive as well. So you note his high ALT and decide to start him on some entecavir. Uh, with a repeat set of HBDNA and ALT at his three-month repeat appointment. So when do you stop the treatment, Scott? So this is really getting above our level, but it's pretty complex. But the two things you're kind of monitoring, even if you forget about those phases before, are the ALT and the viral load. And that's in people who don't have one of the indications for lifelong treatment. So if you have cirrhosis, hepatocellular carcinoma, then you get lifelong treatment. But the treatment is quite complex and they get definitely going to need to see a specialist for that. Yeah, absolutely. So long-term follow-up. His Dow's newlywed wife is screened for hepatitis B and also test positive, allowing hep B treatment during pregnancy and the successful breakage in the chain of infection. This is how you really restore equity in the world. So a new little Dow arrives free from the scourge of hepatitis B that's plagued his family mm. for centuries. His viral load and ALT normalized by six months. And then on at 40 years old, Mr. Dow starts to begin screening for hepatocellular carcinoma. And that's because Asian males 40 years or older should get the six-monthly uh, ultrasound. That so, is once it's inactive, like once they're out of the active kind of phase. phase. Yeah. So Dow's famous luck never fails him and he never develops hepatocellular carcinoma. And then 10 years later, he comes back to your practice and thanks you. He says that Little Star would be proud of your preemptive management. That's sad. So tears well, up, yeah. tears well up in your eye, and you make an excuse about hay fever as you think of that plucky little fighting fish that changed your life trajectory forever. Moral of the story, Scott. Moral of the story. Give us a moral of the story. Well, I think if you don't have enough financial support, then you should try and gamble your way into medicine. I think we can all agree that that's the key takeaway. That's what. That's the only thing I've learned from this podcast. Luckily, I'm already into medicine, so hopefully I don't have to gamble, <laughs> gamble to stay in it. Not, not as important a lesson. Okay, so let's resummarize some of the key points from the podcast. It was a heavy one. I apologize for that. But uh, So hepatitis B is a viral illness that affects hepatocytes and causes lifelong disease that's incurable, essentially. Yeah, and there's always hanging around there. And it's really common in some areas of the world, like Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, parts of Latin America. And you should really focus on trying to screen these people to see if they have hepatitis B. There's a significant risk of hepatocellular carcinoma and progression to cirrhosis in anyone who has chronic hepatitis B. And your likelihood of having chronic hepatitis B depends on how old you are when you contract it. So if you get it when you're a baby, you're much likely, more likely to progress to having chronic hepatitis B, whereas if you get it as an adult, most of the time you just clear it out. Yeah, and the serology interpretation can seem complicated at first, but just and, to try and, and at last. Re- <laughs> reinforce it for the last time. Core antibody, contact, they've had an infection. Surface antigen, part of the virus, they've, they've got, got it, it in they've their got body. The infection. And surface antibody, either they're vaccinated without the other ones or they've cleared it and resolved the infection. Mm. And viral load obviously means there's viruses. There's a virus in there. Yeah. Um, treatment involves you know, a careful eye on contact tracing, vaccination and prevention, um, and then suppressive antivirals in those who have chronic forms of the disease. And some of the key differences with hepatitis C is that there's more vertical transmission. Uh, there's a higher rate of hepatocellular carcinoma. Uh, there's less intravenous drug use associated with it um, and that there are vaccines that exist unlike hepatitis C but there's no cure that exists yeah 
here we go. All it's right. done. That was some heavy stuff. I hope that all made sense. I mean, I think one thing that does help is looking at the table mm. uh, for the different types or phases of the disease and where the antibodies and antigens fit in. But even after doing that for years and years, I probably only just have it now. And even then, I'll probably forget it again soon. So, yeah, yeah it's tricky, but it is something that's commonly tested in medical student exams. And once you've got it locked into your head, if you remember some of the key principles about what some of the things mean, sometimes it kind of stays. And there's some good guidelines. Like you can check out the REC GP guidelines. They're they're pretty straightforward and easy to understand. And once you've got an idea of those guidelines, then for kind of bonus points, you can start trying to understand the E-antibody seroconversion and the different phases. But I wouldn't be too worried about them as long as you remember the rough kind of rough picture. Okay, cool. Thanks for sticking it out with us. We'll see you next time. Bye.